Do we have a changing landscape in college football? Everybody looks beatable, even Alabama. Let's get into it. What is going on, everybody? It's Michael Kirkring here, host of College Football Let's Talk College Football podcast, and seriously, let's talk some college football. Now, this is going to be a shorter one today. I'm, uh, as I've said before, I'm, I'm actually back in Oregon right now, again, at my parents' house down here in Southern Oregon, recording this, and I'm wrapping up some jobs that I'm doing for IndyCar. So I've been over here on the West Coast traveling. That's why I've only been getting one episode out per week. As soon as we get going next week, I'm hoping to get back in the swing of things with at least two episodes per week. And as I've talked about before, like please stick with me. Like there's big plans coming for the show. Eventually, want to get you know video format, get the YouTube stuff going, have the podcast along with the video show. The sky's the limit. There's a lot of ideas in the work, but um, we're gonna need. I'm going to need, you know, continued listeners, downloaders, and all those things, you know, please uh, share the podcast, tell people about it, um, email the show, let's talk college football at gmail.com, tell me things you'd like to um, talk about, things you want to hear, and honestly, criticism, just anything, right, and we're only at maybe a couple hundred listeners again right now, which has been great to get back in the hundreds, but obviously want to keep that going, so anyway, this week, what I wanted to focus on, because I don't have a bunch of time this morning to break down you know, things and talk for a full hour plus like usual, but I just wanted to talk about a takeaway I had from this last week of games. And no, it's not the fact that my team, Florida State, still sucks royally. <laughs> you can go listen to all the FSU podcasts um, and radio shows for that. But when I'm looking across the landscape of college football, I said in the beginning after week one. It's Alabama, and it's then it's everybody else. No one comes close to them. And I don't want to overreact to this Florida game too much, because we don't know how good Florida is. But Alabama did look beatable. And the sad thing is, is the mere fact that Alabama almost had kind of a close game there at the end is like giving us some sense of hope that oh my gosh, maybe they could lose. They didn't even lose. You know, normally it's like, oh, a team loses, a, a, a ranked team loses. Upset alert. Let's talk about the upset. You know, like Ohio State actually lost last week when they played Oregon. And you you turn on the news, you look at the shows, and oh my gosh, is Alabama not elite? It's like, guys, they won the game. If anything, the fact that they have us even having this conversation due to the fact that they played in a relatively close game kind of just actually proves, in my opinion, the more I think about it, that they're still just as elite as we thought they were. Like, are they not allowed to play close games in the SEC in the swamp 
against a Florida team that has a great coach and also has great players from Southern states, great recruits. So let's not overreact to it. I'm not willing to go there, but let's exclude Alabama for a second and pretend it is still Alabama and everybody else. Everybody else in the field looks beatable. Absolutely beatable. Teams look really good. I think Penn State's really good. I still think Ohio State's really good. I think Georgia is really good. Clemson, it's hard for me to say the words really good with them right now because, gosh, we just haven't seen things from them offensively that you feel like you need to see. But they're still good. They're still a good football team. Like Most teams in the country would not want to play Clemson. You're not going to take your odds against them. We'll see how the season unfolds, right? But... Oregon looks good, right? I still think the Pac-12 race is interesting. Even after Arizona State falls to BYU, even though Utah has fallen, right? Even though UCLA has fallen to Fresno State, because guess what? Fresno State's pretty good. And I've got a theory, and and I've heard it mentioned on some other shows, but it's something I've been thinking about for a while, about why does there seem to be a lot of parity in the sport once you get under, you know, maybe Alabama, maybe those top two, three teams. And I think the reason for that is COVID. And this might not just be a one-year thing. We might be seeing the repercussions of this for a while. When you think about it, last year, all of the elite teams, right? Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, you know, go on, you know, top five, top 10 teams, the teams that always have five-star elite players. Those teams had turnover, just like they would in any normal year, right? We've talked about how Alabama's turnover is absolutely insane on what they lost last year, but then also how that's so impressive how they're able to just reload and keep going. Now, with all the other teams in college football, the other 85 to 90% of rosters, they didn't have to deal with that turnover. You're talking about teams that are loaded with fifth, sixth year seniors, fifth and sixth, sixth year seniors in a lot of cases, right? There's a lot of guys that were fifth year seniors last year and they got another year. Everybody got a mulligan year and you got to think about it. In college football, yes, we focus so hard on these guys that leave as juniors or redshirt sophomores because they are elite caliber players. But remember, most of those guys are confined to about five to 10 teams, Most people, their best players, and there still might be NFL caliber great players, but they're seniors. And the average, not even the average, the majority of good college athletes, especially in football, they're going to stay till their senior year and get really good. And they would love to be able to play longer than that. And we basically gave every single Division I college football player a free year last year. You combine that with the new redshirt rule that was implemented two years ago where you can actually play in four games and keep your redshirt. So we already started giving players this you know, more mulligan year where you actually can gain experience, right? You've always been able to redshirt, but you haven't been able to play in four football games and keep your redshirt. So that was already causing a lot of redshirt freshmen that had experience, you know, uh, sophomores, redshirt sophomores that already had basically two years of experience going into that year. So redshirt sophomores are effectively what juniors used to be in a lot of cases. Because remember, true freshmen used to not play, 
right? You Even if you didn't get redshirted, you maybe saw one to two to four games of action as a freshman, even if you were a really good freshman at a good school sometimes. Well, now you still get those four games of action and you're not even a freshman yet. Then you come into your next season. You're a redshirt freshman where typically you would have never seen the field in college before. Now you have some experience. And then you get what used to be a so- a true sophomore season or a true redshirt freshman season. And, you know, it goes down. So when you combine that with this COVID year that added another year of eligibility, I mean, you've got guys that were seniors, started a full season of if it was, you know, SEC, ACC, a full season of football in the conferences where they did play most of their games last year. And now they're coming back again. And nothing is more important than experience in this sport, especially at the most key position group, which is offensive line. So while Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, these rosters are still absolutely elite, and they're probably still the best teams, right? It's the same names. You're seeing them struggle, right? Like, why is Oklahoma struggling with Tulane? Why is UCLA losing to Fresno State? And Oregon even had a really close game with Fresno State. It's because these these other schools, especially these top-level American conference schools, right, or Mountain West schools, you know, your San Jose States, your Fresno States, UCFs, Boise State, Memphis, right? They've already always had this thing where they have elite um, players and sense of experience because those players don't send, you know, red, red shirt sophomores or juniors to the NFL, right? They're not Alabama. They're always developing players. But now those developmental programs, right? Your Kansas States, your Boston Colleges, Wake Forest, right? You know, speaking of Wake Forest, right? Like I'm Florida State. I was paying attention to that Wake Forest game. Wake Forest had a bunch of fifth-year seniors on the offensive line, a quarterback that seems like has been there forever. That experience matters a lot. So the parody I feel like we're seeing is, yeah, Oklahoma's really good, but guess what? Spencer Rattler is still a young football player. Yes, he had a whole year of experience last year, but he's still relatively young to the overall field of college football. The average guy he's playing against probably has two to three years on him. And eventually his talent will probably overcome that, but that makes a huge, huge difference. Trust me, like anyone who's played sports or has paid attention to this sport for a long period of time understands this, right? This experience that we're seeing across the board matters, especially when you combine that with the fact that the elite teams are just as unexperienced as they usually are this time of year because for them everything's normal they still sent all of their nfl draft picks to the nfl last year and they're replacing them with young guys young elite guys but still young guys so yeah while alabama georgia these teams you know ohio state go on and on and on you know the teams while they're still putting on the field these absolute elite athletes those athletes are going up against a lot of fifth-year, right? If you're a wide receiver who's a five-star, you might be going up against a fifth or sixth-year senior at corner. And while your overall potential is probably higher than that player, right now, especially early in the season, he's got so much experience that it's leveling out the playing field in a lot of these battles that we see on the field between these position groups. And the most important one is offensive line, right? You have all these stud defensive line recruits that are going to Clemson, that are going to Alabama, 
every year, but they're running into very experienced and well-coached offensive linemen, right? Look at teams like, like week one when we saw Ohio State and Minnesota. What that was was a very talented Ohio State team playing a very experienced and also talented Minnesota team, right? But the roster for Minnesota doesn't line up with Ohio State, so why was that game close? Because one, this is college football and crazy things happen, right? If if you were going to win the championship solely based on your roster, right? Well, then Alabama would be number one every single year. They have the best recruiting class every single year. And if they don't finish one, they finish two or three, right? And then Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, there wouldn't even be a neat reason to play the season. So you look at composite rankings and you've got teams that should be astronomically better than another team based on just roster. And yet those games are close or you lose those games, right? But that's because this sport is awesome and it's all about team camaraderie and coaching and game planning and having a really good roster is very important, but there's so many other pieces to this thing. So as a college football fan of the sport, what, what do I like to get out of a season? It's the same thing I like to get out of an NCAA basketball tournament, right? You want to see, I don't like to use the word chaos because that makes it sound like you want it to just be ridiculous like it's not like oh i want every year a championship or a playoff between like an iowa state and you know an arizona like i don't necessarily need it to be that crazy we don't need the 11 seed bracket buster to make the final four every year but what you want to have happen is right if i'm using this ncaa basketball tournament analogy you want to have a season where it's not just like hey Every time a one seed plays a two seed, the one seed wins. Every time a two would play a three, the two would win. You want a little mixed match, right? A really good final four, right, is when you have, you know, maybe a couple of the one seeds make it, a two seed makes it, and then, you know, like a four seed steps up, and obviously they're playing like a one seed because they made it to the final four, but it wasn't just a simple, oh, I'm going to pick all the, the top seeds, right? You also don't want have a year where none of the one and two seeds make the final four either right it's like we like that balance because you want to feel like the best teams are there but you also want to feel like you were entertained throughout the process and the college football regular season has always been this giant tournament right some of the most fun seasons were like 2007 2007 lsu made the national championship game they actually started the year number one or number two right they were right there and Ohio State had made, played in the national title the year before. So when you actually got to the title game, it was kind of a predictable game. A lot of people preseason probably had the bet of Ohio State and LSU playing. But as the season went on, that scenario looked impossible at times. All the different upsets, the different teams moving up and down. There were so many teams that were in position to go to the national championship game in 2007 and then let it slip through their fingers because they got upset, right? The number of teams that made their way up to number two in the country, just off the top of my head, I don't have the list in front of me, but I remember that season pretty well, right? Oregon got up to number two at one point and lost. California with with uh, Deshaun Jackson, they got highly ranked. They lost. South Florida climbed all the way to number two. They lost. Boston College got to number two. West Virginia got back up to number two. Ohio State lost when they were one late in the year. LSU got up to number one or number two multiple times when they got upset, right? They were the first two lost team to ever make a national championship game in the BCS era. And then they end up winning it all, right? So as a fan, 
I want to see more seasons like that. It's not that I don't want the Georgia, the Clemson, the Alabama to ultimately make it to the playoff, right? If they're the best team, I hope they make it to the game. But lately, we've just been having such predictable seasons where, hey, if Ohio State plays someone, they're winning in the regular season. Michigan doesn't have a chance. Penn State doesn't have a chance. They run the Big Ten. Clemson runs the ACC. Alabama might slip up because of the tough conference they play in, but ultimately they make the playoff. And then once you're in the playoff, you kind of know how things have gone there. Ohio State's not beating Bama or Clemson until, you know, last year they finally did beat Clemson, but they still were nowhere near Alabama. And it, the predictable parts of the sport is what we don't like. We want a lot of parity in our top 10, in our top 25. And this year, so far, right, exclude Alabama for a second, it looks like we have that, right? Oklahoma doesn't look unstoppable. It looks like it's only a matter of time before they drop a game. Ohio State doesn't look like they're miles ahead of the Big Ten. I personally think Penn State's my Big Ten favorite. And right now you have two Big Ten teams, Iowa and Penn State, ranked ahead of Ohio State. The Big Ten has always been Ohio State's conference to lose. That might not be the case this year. Ohio State already has a loss. And even if Ohio State does rally and improve every week and does ultimately win the Big Ten and be the best team, at least we're going to be more entertained as it happened because Ohio State hasn't just boat raced Oregon and to this point looked like, okay, they're on another level than Penn State and and everyone else, right? I think you could still make a case like, should they be favored against Penn State, Michigan, Iowa? Maybe, probably Like I said, I'm personally leaning Penn State at this point, but I was high on them before the season started. But there is a lot more mystery there, right? And that had been the theme the first, you know, three weeks of the season. The problem was, is that Alabama still looked like another stratosphere. And it was almost disheartening to see the parity between teams ranked 2 through 10 through 25 because you were like, well, that's actually more annoying because now it looks like Alabama is just going to race through everything. And it really is Alabama and everybody else. And maybe, and I don't want to overreact to this Florida game, but maybe Alabama is a little closer to those teams than we thought. And let me explain why. One, Miami looks like they're not good. So Alabama destroying Miami in that week one, first of all, Alabama does that to everybody, right? Like we said, go back to 2016 when they did that to a USC team. But by the end of the season, that USC team looked as dangerous as anybody else once they finally got Sam Darnold in and they were rolling, right? Penn State that same year got blown out by Michigan early in the year, but they were the best team in the Big Ten when it was all said and done in 2016, even though Ohio State made the playoff, right? Penn State had beaten Ohio State, but they had those two losses early. And we don't need to go too much into the history, but... So that Miami win is not quite as impressive as it looked, right? This always happens in college football. These week one games turn out to not be always what we thought they were, right? We thought Florida State was back because they played this epic game week one against a top 10 Notre Dame team. Well, Notre Dame hasn't looked top 10 since, and Florida State has looked abysmal since. So maybe that was, like I said, a 2016 Texas-Notre Dame game where great game, fun to watch but these two teams just aren't good. And sometimes when two bad teams play, you get a game just as entertaining as if two good teams play, right? So, but we we still don't know. Notre Dame could still be good. I know Florida State's not good, but 
the verdict is still out on Notre Dame. We'll see how they how they improve. Now, with Alabama and Florida, the reason I think you can react a little bit to this game is, remember, every team, unfortunately, that plays Alabama has to get over this mental hurdle of playing Alabama. And that's a hard thing to do. That's why these kickoff games go south for teams so fast. You're playing Alabama week one. There's so much mental pressure you put into that. Alabama prepares for everybody the same. So they come in and they whoop that ass in week one. And a lot of people are saying, oh, Florida doesn't have that. Florida obviously didn't have that playing Alabama. Um, I would argue that they definitely did have that the first quarter. The reason Alabama jumps out to that 21-3 lead so fast is because Florida was playing like that. But the hope is, and what, what we're seeing, is that once Florida settled into that game, and they were not afraid of Alabama anymore. That game was very, very close. In fact, I would argue Florida kind of, in a way, dominated the last three quarters of that game. Unfortunately, it was a little bit too little too late because once you gave Alabama an 18-point lead, they kind of just had to hold on. If Florida had played the way they played in this in the last three quarters right from the get-go and just not allowed one of those early touchdowns, Right, and they had some mistakes, and they had turnover early, and they, you know, they weren't tackling, they weren't breaking down. You could tell Florida changed the way they played. They got more confident later. But another thing is, Florida kind of whooped Alabama on the line of scrimmage, on offense and defense those second three quarters as well. They could get to the edges. The Florida offensive line was having success against this elite Alabama defensive line, and the Florida defensive line was playing pretty well too. So, and what does that do going forward? Other teams see this and they start to believe, hey, maybe Alabama is a little bit beatable. Florida played well against them because remember, Florida wasn't considered, you know, top 10 for the beginning of the year and maybe Florida is really good, but also maybe Florida is not that good. We're, we're going to see how Florida responds, right? Because now they got a, a rivalry opponent, Tennessee, Tennessee, Still looks like they're not that good. I know Tennessee's like 2-1, and one, but they dropped the only game against a decent opponent they've played. That was Pitt, who then went on to lose to Western Michigan. So we'll see. But the thing is, is after playing Alabama in that emotional game, is Florida going to come back and respond? Because you know Tennessee's going to be razor-focused on this game. They want this win. And realistically, they don't have the talent to get this win, but it's college football. Anything could happen. So honestly, look out for Florida to maybe play sloppy here against Tennessee. We'll see what happens. That's going to be really interesting. But you combine that with how the SEC West is looking and Arkansas looks surprising. Ole Miss looks like maybe they're actually pretty freaking good. So I'm starting to bet that Alabama is going to lose a game, right? Auburn looks okay still, right? That game with Penn State showed me that I still think Auburn's probably a four-loss team, but they're the type of team that is going to be annoying to play, and every game they play, they're going to have a chance to win, right? LSU's not to the level that they should be or that they want to be, but they're still not a team that you just don't even have to prepare for and go in. So the SEC West looks tough, right? And then you got, you know, teams in the East. Florida and Alabama could play again in the SEC Championship game if Florida takes care of business. Georgia's still out there. Texas A&M. Right? They haven't looked impressive, but it's going to be hard for Alabama to get through the season undefeated. And 
most of the time Alabama doesn't go undefeated. They still make the playoff. They still win the national title. But at least we get that entertainment of like, what's going on? Who's going to make the playoff? And that's, as a fan, what I want to see. I want to see multiple conferences have races that come down to a handful of teams. And you're like, is Iowa going to represent the Big Ten? Is Penn State? Is Ohio State? What's going on in the SEC? Can Alabama survive? Like those question marks are what make the season fun, right? Is Now that Oregon's got the win over Ohio State, you kind of need them to lose twice for them to be knocked out of the playoff. I mean, let's be realistic. That win over Ohio State kind of gives them a mulligan because if they go win the Pac-12 at 12-1, at and one, there's like a 90% chance they make the playoff, right? Washington made the playoff at 12-1 and one. in 2016. They didn't even have a non-conference elite win. They actually lost to the best team they play that year. They lost the USC game, right? So, and I think maybe their best win was like Stanford in their own division because Stanford was still decent that year. But the reality is, is 12-1 and one conference champions make the playoff more times than they don't. And you're usually only getting left out of the playoff as a 12 and 1 conference champion if there's four other 12 and 1 conference champions or maybe an undefeated independent like a Notre Dame that knocks you out but a 12 and 1 conference champion is probably not going to get knocked out against an 11 and 1 non-conference champion or even a 12 and 1 non-conference champion right for years now we've always dealt with these scenarios where the SEC fans just assume that hey if if Alabama or a couple years ago it was LSU, right? If they get to the SEC championship game undefeated, they're automatically in the playoff. And there's really not any evidence for that. Now, I've been waiting for a year where this scenario happens to see how the committee actually responds, right? But for example, in 2019, it was assumed that, well, if LSU lost the SEC championship game to Georgia, well, then Georgia has to be in because they would have been 12-1 and SEC champions and LSU would have to be in because of everything they accomplished in the regular season. But I don't think that the conference champion loser is getting in over other conference champion winners with the same record. And you can argue like, yeah, but the SEC resume that that 12-1 and non-champion would have trumps it. But I don't know. The committee has said that a conference champion is a pretty big tie-breaking thing that goes on your resume even if that conference championship game wasn't against a ranked opponent and what have you right we've seen that happen before so like i'm like i'm just trying to point out here pac-12 still completely alive even ucla right if ucla the fresno state loss is not that bad of a loss right that's that's a better loss than losing to a handful of pac-12 teams this year fresno state's pretty decent they're one of the top Mountain West schools, right? Them and San Jose State. And when you go back to the parody I'm talking about, losing to the top teams in some of these group of five schools, that's not as bad of losses as those used to be in the past, right? If you're losing to Memphis, you're losing to UCF, you're losing to San Jose State, Fresno State, Appalachian State, right? There's a handful more, more teams I could name. Those are not bad losses anymore. They're actually better losses than, for example, if you're in the Pac-12 and you got upset by Arizona, that's significantly worse right now than losing to that. So 
unfortunately, we still have some of the stigma where you see the helmets and you're like, well, a Pac-12 team should always be beating a Mountain West team because Power 5 should be doing this. But that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, you're playing a a low-level group of five school. You're playing the bottom of these group of five conferences. It's pretty bad, obviously. But the top of a couple of these group of five conferences, especially the American, is pretty good. Those teams are just as good as any team you're probably going to see in your own conference on a week-to-week basis. And another thing, when we talk about this playoff race, I don't think you're going to be able to leave Cincinnati out if they go undefeated against most 12-1 and schedules this year, right? It's going to be really, really interesting. You're definitely not leaving Cincinnati out if you don't win your conference champion and you have one loss. So there's some crazy scenarios here. And then forget Cincinnati, BYU. Now, I really don't think BYU can go undefeated, but BYU is playing a very respectable schedule. This is not all that group of five school, right? If you look at Cincinnati, for example, they are going to play Notre Dame, but the Indiana when they have Indiana already has two losses now. And then they have, you know, not a good schedule around it. BYU's already beaten three Pac-12 teams. I think they're playing two more. They finished the year with USC. They're playing Virginia later, right? Like they have a respectable schedule. They pretty much play like 11 Power 5 conference games. So, they are not some independent, you know, playoff buster type of team. They have the schedule where if they went undefeated, you'd have to treat them pretty much just like Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has proven that if they go undefeated or even finish with one loss sometimes, they make the playoff. So you have to treat BYU the same way. Now, can BYU do that? We don't know. But it's getting really interesting. The landscape is changing. And I'm hopeful that we're going to have a super entertaining season where the top two change each week. That's kind of what you want to see. Okay, this team was number one. They lost, so they had to fall back down to six, and they had to wait for more teams above them to get their one loss before they climbed back to one. And again, just like 2007, you could still ultimately finish with a two teams that you could have predicted before the season still being those two teams that play in the national championship game or those four teams that make the playoff. But at least we can have an entertaining way of it getting there as opposed to, well, they're just going to run through their schedule and get there. That's what we hope for. That's what's fun for fans. That's what we want to see. And it's better for the sport and better for all the players and all the fans and all the schools when you had more than four teams throughout the year that felt like they had a legitimate shot to get to the playoff, right? You want teams to feel like we beat ourselves, right? All those teams in 2007 that got ranked up to number two and lost they felt like, dang, we screwed it up. We were in position, we had the ranking, and then we let games slip. Otherwise, we would have been in that title game. You don't want it to have the feeling where teams are like, look, there was nothing we could have done. At the end of the day, these rosters on some of these elite schools were so much better than us that we did what we could. No, you want, in a perfect world, you want at least 10 to 12 teams once you hit mid-October and even into November to feel like, hey, if we can take care of business, we have just as good of a shot as anybody else to be in this dance. And so far, I would say this season is actually kind of feeling like that. So that's got me really excited. And that's all I really want to get out in the message today. I'd love to break down more teams and more matchups and, and give more 
evidence and examples on why we can feel this way about the teams, but don't have a lot of time today. I'm actually catching a flight here in a couple hours. I'm headed down to LA. Got this last IndyCar race to work. But like I said, the landscape is changing. To me, it's super exciting. And I really can't wait to see where it goes. And it could all be a fluke, right? It could be in a couple weeks, everything corrects itself. Oklahoma's, Ohio State's, they all get their crap together um, from a coaching standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, and they look unbeatable again. That could easily happen, right? Oklahoma looked beatable at the beginning of last year, but then Rattler really turned it around and they really came on strong at the end. But other teams are going to have chances to come on strong at the end, right? Penn State, you would think, is only going to keep getting better. Iowa can only continue to get better. These teams have these opportunities, and it's just going to be really exciting to see how they go forward and how they take advantage of them. So anyway, ponder those thoughts. I'm hoping the season shapes up to be good. We deserve this type of season so much after last year, not really getting a real season at all. After just everything that's gone on in the world, everybody's been dealing with so much. Like we come, we watch the sport. It's our escape, right? I know a lot of you, if you're like me, it's been hard this last year because there's so much going on in the real world between the pandemic and politics and all this crazy stuff that sometimes it's hard to focus on football, but at least hopefully we can get these moments to have fun Saturdays and just get some of our heated debates back on sports, right? That's a goal. So anyway, I hope you guys are excited as I am. Like I said, reach out to the show let's talk college football at gmail.com. Again, I, I've talked about it before the Instagram curator page I created at college football classics, all one word. It's not related to the podcast, right? Eventually I might advertise the podcast on there, but it's simply just a curator page where I throw up highlights of old games so we can all enjoy them and relive those moments. I try to keep it based on like the week. So for example, this week I'm throwing up Tennessee, Florida matchups from the past, right? So many great games in that matchup from the nineties, you know, 2005, 2006, so many great games. Um, I'm throwing up Texas A&M, Arkansas, right? It's super cool that that is a ranked matchup again. There were some good games, you know, like 2010, 2011, uh, 2016 was a good one, right? So it looks like we might have another good one there again. So I'm throwing up some of those classics. We got, I think, another Kansas State-Oklahoma State play this year. There's been some decent games in that matchup, at least in the last decade. So, And then, of course, I'm always just throwing up highlights. So if you're like me, you love reliving these old moments in the sport. I love watching old games, but you know I'm a nerd like that. And anyway, I'm posting a lot of them. So if you guys want to check them out, check them out. Have fun. So anyway... That's all I got for today. Like I said, this one's a little shorter. I got a lot of stuff to do, but thanks for listening and enjoy your weekend. And hopefully this week we get another awesome week in college football.